very much, Colin. It is good to be with you here today. Uh, it's a fair way to come, but I'm always refreshed uh, having uh, been here for the day and uh, spent some time with the Lord's people here. Uh, many happy memories. I think the first time I was in this building, uh, the building was packed. It was Martin's baptism. Um, uh, but uh, there's less of us here this evening, but that doesn't matter. If the Lord is here, we have all that we need. Uh, as we come to worship the Lord, let me just read a few verses from Psalm 34 to focus our hearts and minds on the worship of our great God. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Let us pray. O Lord our God, Thou who art enthroned in heavenly splendor, uh, beyond the sight of our naked eye, we thank thee that though thou art a God who in some senses is far off, yet thou art a God who is near, uh, near in the person and work of thy well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ. We thank thee that by living faith in a living Saviour, we are united to him, and therefore we can come into the very throne room of heaven to bring our prayers and our praises unto the great God, of our salvation, the God who is worthy to be praised, the God of all glory and honor and blessing. Be with us, Lord, we humbly pray, as we are gathered here this evening. Lord, has been said, not many of us, but we ask that we may be conscious of the Savior's presence amongst his people, uh, that we would hear his voice, the voice of our beloved, speaking to us through his word, we pray that the Holy Spirit will come and lead and direct everything that we say and do uh, to the exaltation of our Saviour, that we will be led to him, have him revealed to us, and that we will all end in the triune God. Lord, forgive our sins. We come unto thee and confess that we do come so very far short of uh, what we ought to be as thy creatures but cleanse us afresh in the precious blood of Jesus. Grant us that sense of forgiveness and peace in our hearts as we worship thee. And may we have uh, joy and peace in believing, uh, a joy to worship our God, a joy that is worthy of thee. So hear us and be with us, we humbly pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Our opening praise is hymn number 142. 142, my song shall bless the Lord of all, my praise shall climb to his abode, the Saviour, by that name I call, the great supreme, the mighty God. 142.
friends, I'd invite you to return with me uh, to two passages, first of all in the Psalms, uh, number 37, and then turning in the New Testament to Luke's Gospel and chapter 18. But first of all, reading from the 37th Psalm, and we'll read from verse 1 as far as verse 20. Let's hear God's word together. The Psalm of David. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they soon shall be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword, and have bent the bow, to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, shall they consume away. And then turning in the New Testament to Luke's Gospel, and the 18th chapter, and we'll read the first 14 verses. And he, that is the Lord Jesus, spake a parable unto them, his disciples, to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while... 
But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. May the Lord give us uh, that spirit of humility uh, in our worship and in all of our lives. We further sing to God's praise number 90 in Christian hymns, which is the rendering of Psalm 121. Unto the hills I lift mine eyes, from whence doth come mine aid. My help is from the Lord alone, who heaven and earth has made. Number 90. Oh, 
So we pray that we may uh, know the truth of those fear knots in our life and in our experience. That uh, whatever happens through these winter months uh, with COVID, uh, whatever else may take place in our world, Lord, that we may rest in this, that we may rest in the Lord and not be fretful, uh, cease from any evil and do that which is good. Wait patiently for the Lord, knowing that thou art in control of all things. Thou art the sovereign God. Every atom is in its appointed place at this present time. Nothing is out of order in thy universe, uh, but all things follow thy perfect plan. However uh, confused and muddled, uh, hard it seems to us, we thank thee, Lord, that thou art in control. Uh, help us to prove the truth of that uh, day by day and uh, so to walk with our God. We pray for uh, one another and thank thee for the encouraging sight of uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord here this evening. Uh, we thank thee we are not alone. We're not in some far remote part of this world where we do not know of another Christian person. Uh, and we do not have another believer to fellowship with. We thank thee for all those, uh, Lord, of like precious faith that we have contact with, that we can speak heart to heart and soul to soul, uh, to speak about the Saviour, uh, speak about thy word, our experiences, uh, all these things that we uh, have in common. Uh, Lord, how blessed we are. Help us to be a, a thankful people, uh, so easy, our God, to follow the spirit of the age and to complain and grumble uh, like Israel of old did. But help us to follow thy word in, to give thanks in everything, uh, to thank thee for all the blessings, the many blessings that are shower upon us. We pray, our God, for uh, so many things at this present time. There is so much need. Uh, so many points that we would wish to bring before thee. We pray for each one here this evening and those on Zoom, whatever our life circumstances, whatever challenges, afflictions we may be passing through, Lord, that thou wouldst give strength to each one of thy people and that we may know thine all-sufficient grace being supplied to us day by day. Uh, the Spirit bringing to us the riches of Jesus Christ making them over to us in our souls so that we can walk with thee. Uh, life, Lord, is often difficult and challenging. We sometimes don't know how we will take the next step. But, Lord, thou art always there uh, to help and support and uh, provide for thy people. Uh, we uh, pray, our God, for uh, things in uh, government at the moment. We are aware that there is a bill before both houses concerning the assisted uh, uh, dying, uh, a planned law to make it easier for people to end their own lives. And, our God, we know that thou art a father who has pity upon his creatures. And so we, too, would have sympathy for those who suffer greatly because of our illness and the weakness of the body. Uh, but, Lord, we... Uh, are fearful of the consequences of if this bill is accepted. And so we pray uh, for all those that have spoken up 
uh, for uh, the continuance of life and the need to maintain life, that uh, thou art the life giver and thou art the only uh, rightful uh, taker away of such life. And so we pray that there will be no uh, change in the laws of our land in this regard. At the same time, our God, we mourn the millions of lives that have been slaughtered uh, in the last 40 or 50 years uh, in the womb. Uh, some 8 million, 8, 9 million souls uh, have not uh, lived outside of the womb uh, because of man's barbaric cruelty. Lord, forgive us. Uh, the blood of all those children is upon our hands. Uh, Lord, wilt thou not visit for these things? But we pray that in thy wrath against us, that thou wouldst remember thy mercy. And turn us back, Lord, that we may seek law at thy hands. And we would do that which is pleasing in thy sight. That we would have righteous laws that uh, exalt thee. And which indeed, Lord, would exalt us as a nation. So we pray for that whole process, that uh, thou wouldst see that good and right is done. And we pray for the gospel to be ministered to those who uh, are wrestling with uh, life-changing illnesses and wanting to get away from the pain and the suffering. We pray that they may find rest and hope through Jesus Christ and that they will believe uh, to the saving of their souls and having hope in a resurrection of a perfectly formed body. Uh, glorious, even as Christ's body is also glorious. We pray for our persecuted uh, brethren across the world, uh, those who, uh, perhaps like the Romanian pastor I mentioned a few moments ago, uh, languish in some dingy prison uh, in parts of the world, uh, perhaps in North Korea or China, uh, the Middle East, places like that, those who perhaps even this evening, Lord, have a sentence of death hanging over them because they will not cease to teach and to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you to be with them, to strengthen them, to help them, and to bless their witness even to their captors, to their persecutors, and that thou wouldst cause thy kingdom to grow in the face of bitter hostility and persecution. Lord, we, we pray for uh, these such, mindful of the great freedoms, the liberties, the comfort, Lord, that we enjoy. And what is it, Lord, that uh, we have the blessings that we have and are spared uh, some of the uh, inhumane treatment that our brothers and sisters in the Lord suffer. So we pray for them, Lord, for that is what we can do. Uh, we raise their case up before thee and pray that thou wouldst look upon them and bless them. Do be with, Lord, our uh, sister Jackie, that was mentioned at the beginning of this service, uh, with the treatment that she's going through at the moment. We ask thee as a great physician to uh, use that treatment uh, for good, and that thou wouldst bring her through, and may she know thy presence and thy sustaining grace uh, through every step of that course of treatment. We pray for Gary that he'll uh, soon get the test result. Uh, we pray that this morning. And uh, Lord, that thou wouldst uh, help him with all that he seeks to do. 
do guide this church, our God, in future days. Uh, lead them forth, Lord, by the right hand. We thank thee, thou art the head of thy church, thou art the shepherd of thy people. And so we pray to build up this flock of thine, encourage them, strengthen them in their ho most holy faith, and add to them, Lord, those that uh, thou hast chosen in eternity past and will call to salvation here in time. Uh, Lord, we thank thee for thy precious word, which we shall shortly consider. Uh, what a wonderful book it is, uh, the best possible book that we could ever contemplate, because it is thy book and thy gift to us. And we thank thee for, it, for its truth, for the way it brings to us eternal realities, and for the way in which it meets us at the very point of our need. Lord, we pray to bless thine own word to our souls this evening, that thou wouldst feed us. Uh, for, Lord, uh, empty and vain is the word of man, but, Lord, thy word is true, it is sure, it is steadfast, and it is uh, the very bread of heaven. So we would open up our mouths once afresh. Uh, pray thee, Lord, according to thy promise, that thou wouldst fill us uh, with thy word this evening, that we may be strengthened in our souls and enabled to carry on in the pilgrimage thou hast placed us on as we journey to glory, to be with Christ, which is far better. We thank thee for our Saviour, that he sits at thy right hand, our wonderful advocate, uh, having finished salvation here on earth, now interceding for us, pressing the claims of his salvation, that we might receive all that he has purchased. Lord, we thank thee for him, and that we have that bright and glad prospect of seeing him one day and being forever with him. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And we pray this for his sake and in his name. Amen. We sing once again to God's praise, the hymn 386, 386. Jesus, thou sovereign Lord of all, the same through one eternal day, attend thy feeblest followers call, and O oh, instruct us how to pray. Pour out the supplicating grace and stir us up to seek thy face. 386. Oh 
to speak to you from Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, and the first eight verses. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Uh, let me, though, this time just read verse 1 again. And he spake a parable unto them, to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. I don't suppose there is one of us that does not find prayer difficult. Uh, prayer is the most spiritual exercise that a human being can be engaged in, and therefore the flesh militates against it. Prayer is difficult, uh, but perhaps even more difficult than that is keeping on praying. To persist in asking the Lord uh, for those things that we have prayed for, for a very long time when as yet there appears to be no answer. Perhaps we've besought the Lord on behalf of a friend, a neighbor, a colleague or a relative, uh, praying for their salvation or praying for something uh, to happen in their life, for some situation to change and yet nothing has happened. And we begin to think, well, what is the point of praying? Perhaps we don't verbalize it, we would be ashamed of ourselves if we did, but that thought is in the back of our minds. 
our spirits begin to flag, our faith wavers, our hopes sink, we lose heart and we're on the brink of giving up or perhaps we even do give up. The Lord knows that this is a very real problem for his people, persisting in prayer. Delayed answers to prayer can be a test for his people and he's not unaware of the difficulty that his people face in that. And so he's placed many, many encouragements in his word that he would, by which he would stir us up to pray and to keep on praying. Uh, he's given us many practical lessons in that regard. And the parable that our Lord Jesus gave, he gave, as we shall see, was for that particular end. That, as he says, men ought always to pray and not to faint. So taking as our theme this evening, very simply, don't give up praying. Don't give up praying. We want to see three things from these eight verses. Uh, it's not always that I have three points, but we'll do again this evening. Uh, first of all, a striking story uh, that our Saviour tells us. Secondly, an encouraging application that he brings from that. And then thirdly and finally, a probing question. A surprising story, an encouraging application, and a probing question. Well, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he tells them, uh, we're told in verse 1, a parable unto them. Uh, now, the English word parable is literally just the Greek word put into English letters. Uh, it's a transliteration, really, rather than a translation. And the underlying word uh, is really composed of two parts. It means to cast alongside. And so that is what the Lord Jesus did with his parables. He would cast these stories, the greatest stories the world really has ever known, alongside the teaching that he was giving in order to shed light upon them and to give those that had ears to hear uh, help in grasping the spiritual truths he was setting before his people and, and those that were listening. And one of the key things to remember whenever you're reading the parables is uh, to understand that there is one specific point that every parable makes. There's an overarching point uh, at the heart of every parable. It can be very easy to get lost in the details, uh, and the details certainly lend uh, support to the main point, but there is also always one main point. Now sometimes that point is not explicitly stated in Scripture. We have to read and think, meditate uh, to find what that point is. But here Jesus makes it explicit. He tells us what this parable he's about to give to his disciples is about. He says, uh, he spoke a parable unto them to this end, for this purpose, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Quite literally, men or people must always pray. This is not optional, uh, not for anyone. Uh, the unbeliever, most of the time, doesn't pray at all. Sometimes when he gets into difficulty, suddenly God becomes necessary. He doesn't pray, but he must pray if he would truly live. But Jesus said that he's given this parable that men ought always to pray and not to faint, not to give up, not to lose heart. And so he tells us this story to encourage us along that path. And in the story that he tells, there are two main characters. Uh, and that's 
very plain to see. There is the judge in the first instance that's spoken of in verse 2, and then we're introduced to the widow in verse 3. The judge, we're told a number of things about him. He lived in a certain city. It doesn't matter where, uh, but he was in a, a bigger uh, settlement. Uh, that's where the uh, seats of justice were in Jesus' day, much like today. Uh, it's towns and cities where the law courts are found. And there are three things we're told about him as an individual, besides the fact he was a judge. Uh, we're told in verse 2 that he didn't fear God. Uh, secondly, he didn't regard man. And then thirdly, we're told uh, by the Lord Jesus in verse 6 that he was an unjust judge. Uh, but he did not fear God, and he did not regard man. Literally, had no respect for his fellow human being. Think of it, a judge who had no time for either table of the law. The first four commandments is our duty to God to fear him. Didn't fear God. And the six, about our uh, love for our neighbor, he had no time for that either. Uh, complete contradiction. A judge without any regard for either table of the law. And that is a, a reminder to us that you cannot ultimately have morality, at least proper morality, without godliness. Uh, the two uh, hang and fall together. Uh, people think that we can uh, produce uh, a harmonious world where everybody gets on and we're all treated neighborly and lovingly. Everyone's treated with respect. Isn't that the buzzword that people want to be respected these days? But we think we can do it all without the fear and knowledge of God. We can just cut God right out of it and we can build that kind of society ourselves. But it cannot be done. It is a sheer impossibility. Uh, God has seen to it, because it is out of the fear of God that a regard for a fellow human being flows. This man then, he didn't fear God, had no concern for others. Who did that leave? Himself. That's all he was worried about, himself. Though he was appointed as a minister, a minister of the law, to serve others, he was only serving himself. His whole life revolved around his own person. He was a self-centered man, it would appear. Uh, arrogant and egotistical, that is the picture that is painted by our Lord Jesus as he is described. What is more, he was aware of it. Because we're not only told that he didn't fear God and he didn't regard man, but he was aware of that fact himself. He says in verse 4, Though I fear not God, nor regard man. How far he had gone in his sin. He was aware of it. He confesses quite uh, brazenly and flippantly. He's blasé about his sin. That he's got no time for that which is uh, right and proper before God. It's one thing for people to admit their faults and their failings. And people will do that, won't they? Oh yes, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Uh, or yes, I got that wrong. But how do we actually feel about our sins? Uh, uh, do we speak about them in just a blase way like this? Or do we feel genuine guilt and contrition uh, on account of our wrongdoing? Because this man had neither. He knew he was doing wrong and he couldn't care less. So evidently he was only in the job for what he could get out of it. Probably 
money was involved uh, along the line somewhere because we read the love of money is the root of all evil and was expecting uh, people to grease his palm in order to dispense the justice as they saw fit uh, or some other kind of rewarding kind and so if you didn't uh, help him out he wasn't going to help you out uh, he wasn't interested in doing his job properly just in looking after number one and so as Jesus says there in verse 6 he was an unjust judge literally a judge of injustice that is how he acted because it was probably those who were uh, wrongdoers who were the ones who wanted to get things sorted their way and so they were prepared to pay or do what was necessary to get it this is the judge in the story but also in that city beyond the prominent judge there was a widow woman who had lost her husband why does Jesus choose a widow in this story uh, it wasn't accidental it wasn't just that she happened to be uh, uh, the individual involved in this story that he tells I think he deliberately chose this he chose a widow because she had nobody to look after her affairs she was one of the individuals uh, one of the groups of people rather within uh, uh, Jewish society that God placed a special emphasis on. Uh, this is brought out a number of places. You can go back as far as uh, the law of God given through Moses, uh, where this comes out. But in Jeremiah 22 and verse 3, the Lord says, Execute judgment and righteousness, deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor, and do no wrong, do no violence to the stranger, or the foreigner, we might say today, the fatherless, the orphan, nor the widow, neither shed innocent blood this place and the Lord placed a great priority of care uh, upon those that were orphaned those that were widowed and those that were foreigners because God knew what human society uh, since the fall was like that such people are vulnerable and they're liable to be exploited and so there were special uh, laws given concerning them to protect them from such exploitation and so the Lord Jesus chooses a widow in a society because she was one of those vulnerable members uh, like children and foreigners and evidently this widow had somebody causing her trouble uh, because she comes uh, to uh, the judge and says in verse 3 avenge me of mine adversary avenge me of mine adversary she speaks about an accuser or a plaintiff somebody who's obviously doing her harm one way or the other perhaps stopping her getting what was uh, she was entitled to or depriving her of the little that she actually had uh, someone was acting illegally and so she came to the judge in order to uh, deal with the situation that must have made her life very very difficult the fact is we shall see that she kept coming shows you that this was not uh, some small matter for her this was crucial this was hugely important for her and she wouldn't have gone to such lengths otherwise and so she comes to the judge seeking justice avenge me of mine adversary now we often think of our English word avenge in some kind of retaliation uh, but really the sense is just to give me justice that is what all she's asking the judge for just please do your job and give me the justice uh, that is my due no special favour uh, just his duty and we read that she went many many times uh, she knocked on the door one day 
and put this case before him and asked him to act. He didn't. And then a few days or weeks later, she came back again. Asked that woman again. And again. Uh, how many times we, she went, we don't know, but uh, she kept coming uh, to get the justice that uh, was her due. And then just to notice the outcome of it, make some comment on that before we uh, draw the spiritual applications from this. Uh, despite the total disregard that the judge had for people in general, anybody else apart from himself, and he got no motivation by way of his position before God to do what was right either, yet we're told there in verse 5 that eventually he caved in and he did dispense the justice that she should have had. He, he says, because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Uh, and the word weary me there uh, can be translated beat me down, uh, used literally, it means to give someone a black eye. Uh, he's obviously using it metaphorically, but he feels he's just getting beaten up uh, because this woman is constantly at his door in his law firm, if you like, uh, trying to get the justice that she wants. And it was her perpetual coming that proved so annoying and irritating to this judge that in the end he realized, well, I'm not going to get any money out of her. She's a widow. She's got nothing to give me. That's why she hasn't given me anything up to this point. But just for a quiet life, just for an easy life, I'll just get her off my back. He decides, therefore, to give her what she wants. Well, that is the surprising story that Jesus tells. Uh, stories don't always end that way, particularly for those that are uh, vulnerable and exploited like this widow woman was. But she did finally get whatever the point of justice was that she needed. But having set the scene and told the story, the Lord Jesus brings the application. Uh, he tells us there in verse 6 to hear what the unjust judge saith. And he draws a parallel between what happens in that situation and how it is with us and our Father in heaven. And he reasons from the lesser, on the one hand, to the greater. Uh, the technical term, the Latin term for that is an a fortiori uh, argument. So if it's true in a much lesser case, then how much more is it true in a greater case? If such a man as that self-centered, proud, godless judge gave the widow what she wanted, well, how much more will your Father in heaven hear your prayers and answer them in his own perfect way. And there is an emphasis in the way Luke expresses this on God. How much more will God, your God, your Father, uh, avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? The contrasts that are therefore raised up for us are striking. And they, they bear just delving into a little to draw out the spiritual truths from them, uh, because, as it were, Jesus is contrasting the judge and God. And if the judge gives justice, if he answers this woman eventually, well, how much more will our God? The judge, as we have said, was self-centered, cared for nobody, nobody but himself. But the Lord, oh yes, he is jealous of his own glory, but his people, he loves them. They are like the apple of his eye, the most tender and sensitive part of the body. Uh, he, he looks upon his people as we sang from Psalm 121 
Uh, he never slumbers nor sleeps, but watches over his people. How much more will he therefore want to do good uh, to his people? The judge, secondly, was unjust. But Abraham said, did he not? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God is always just, always righteous in his dealings. He cannot fail to do what is right, because if he were not to do so, he would deny himself. He would cease to be God, if I may speak that way. He must act in line with his character. And so he'll always do what is right. People might dispute in their, with their sinful mindset what is right. You know, why does God allow suffering and all of these things? And sometimes those can be really genuine questions. But the Lord's actions are always right. One point that is worth drawing out here is really a similarity although the reason for it is very different. Uh, Jesus says, Shall not God avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? Uh, though he makes them wait a long time for the answer. Well, the widow woman, she had to wait a long time, it would seem, by her continual coming before she got the answer that she sought for. But the reasons for the waiting are very, very different. Uh, the unjust judge, he was reluctant to give the answer that she sought uh, because he was in it for himself. But the Lord is kind. He's gracious. He's wise. And if he makes us wait, it's for good reasons, for very good reasons. Uh, he is testing our faith. He is weaning us from this world. He is working his salvation in us. He hears us and he will answer and he will answer speedily, as Jesus said, uh, though uh, it may be a while that we have to wait for it. To give a biblical illustration of this, just think of the life of Joseph. Uh, there he was in the prison. Uh, he'd had God speak to him through those dreams uh, with his brothers. He knew, uh, to some degree at least, what the Lord intended for his life. Uh, but there he was in the prison. The butler and the baker... He interpreted their dreams uh, correctly, of course, and the uh, butler uh, was restored, the baker was executed, and he asked the butler to remember him, and the butler forgot him. And for two years, two full years, the Bible says, and I'm sure they were very full for Joseph, uh, languishing there in that prison. But then suddenly, on Pharaoh's birthday, there was a need. He was raised from the dungeon to the right hand of Pharaoh, becoming prime minister of Egypt. The Lord has his reasons. And yes, the answer may take a long while to come. But when it comes, it can come very quickly. Uh, the Lord does not get wearied by our coming. He delights to hear his children pray, even if they are asking the same thing over and over again. We may think we are wearying him. I know the only time the Lord will get uh, perhaps weary with us is if we are not coming if he begins to wonder well how is it with so and so that child of mine I haven't heard from him or her recently no he delights us to, uh, to hear his children face him with his own handwriting as the Puritans used to say to bring his word to him and say Lord this is what you've promised will you not fulfill your own word Lord in this situation uh, fulfill your word and do as you have promised so the judge uh, 
there was there's nothing really good to say about him and yet the widow got her answer we have a heavenly father who delights to give good things to them that ask him how much more then should we come to him and uh, keep going in our praying but then looking also at the widow the contrasts that are there between her and us as individuals or as uh, churches uh, because there are contrasts that bring out beautiful truths there too uh, first of all we notice the widow she had no one to speak on her behalf she'd have had a husband alive still he could have gone and spoken for her um, perhaps been able to get other help but she was alone she was a widow woman no one to speak for her she was destitute and helpless we're not alone we have someone who speaks for us we have an advocate John says Jesus Christ the righteous one who has our best interests at heart and who pleads our interests there at the father's right hand who says father uh, I will that they be with me where I am who points to his wounds and his hands and his feet and says father I, I've done everything necessary to deliver them from sin and to procure all the blessings they stand in need of oh we're in so, so much more favorable position than this widow woman with our great high priest as our intercessor and advocate we, every time we come to pray we know we have someone there waiting to take our prayers however poor and feeble they are and to perfect them and hand them in I think it was Thomas Manton who the uh, Puritan who gave this great illustration you may have heard it before but it bears repetition uh, he said our prayers are like a bunch of flowers and a, a little child will go out into the meadow field and will pick a number of things and put them together to give to their mother but of course uh, they'll pick weeds and other bits and pieces as well uh, and so perhaps the father will intercept them that bunch before it gets to the mother and he'll take out the weeds and reorganize it and to make it look really beautiful well that's what Jesus does with our prayers there, there, there's some good things in there but there's some dross too and he purifies them uh, and so taking our prayers he hands them in perfect prayers because everything of course that Jesus does is perfect well she had no intercessor we have Jesus our advocate but secondly we see that she had no special relationship to draw upon to the judge to the judge she was a nobody she's a widow woman what do I owe this woman I don't owe her anything why should I give her what she wants don't have to even though that was his job Jesus speaks of his people in a very specific term here he speaks of them as his own elect the ones he has chosen are those whom he chose in eternity past to receive salvation in time those whom he sent his son into the world to die for and called by the Holy Spirit to receive salvation oh if we are aware uh, that having been called by grace looking back we are the chosen of God if we know he's actually taken the initiative with us uh, it's not that he's begrudgingly accepted us no he's taken the first moves he's moved towards us done everything to save us having chosen us even when we were vile and sinful and wretched oh that should be an encouragement to us to keep praying to know that he's taken the first steps and therefore we have a welcome 
But thirdly, and finally here, uh, the widow had no reason, no guarantee to keep going. She could have kept going every day for the rest of her life, and the answer might have been no every time. She didn't know that finally one day she was going to break through and the judge would relent and give her that which she wanted. She didn't know that, but she kept going anyway. You and I, friends, as Jesus has promised, even in uh, these verses, shall not God grant justice, answer his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. He will. Uh, we have that verse and many others throughout scripture which assure us that God does hear and answer prayer everyone that asketh receiveth Jesus says and he that seeketh findeth and he that knocketh to him the door will be opened that is what Jesus has said uh, we know that ultimately we will prevail in prayer because God has promised. What an encouragement therefore to keep coming. She persisted. Oh may we persist also with all the advantages we have both in God himself and the position he's brought us into if we are his, if Christ is our saviour, our great high priest. Oh shall we fall short of this woman's example? Oh no I trust by God's grace we will uh, emulate her at the very least. But then thirdly and finally this evening, notice with me the probing question that Jesus asks at the end, in, at the end of verse 8. He says this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Jesus closes his teaching at this section before he moves on to that famous parable involving the publican and the Pharisee. He closes with this question. At first glance, you might think, well, what's the connection? Why has Jesus said this? He says, nevertheless, still, despite what I've just said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You might think that with such an encouragement to pray, indeed, as we've tried to tease out the different uh, strands, there are many encouragements there to pray. You might think with all of that, well, people would pray constantly. We would never give up. We would never lose heart. We would never faint. Jesus knows what is in man. He, he knows the human heart. And so he says, shall he find faith on the earth when he returns? Now, this isn't a question that Jesus posed for speculation so that we can all get together afterwards and talk about the end times and, uh, well, there will be a tribulation and when that will happen and uh, uh, whether there will be one coming or two, whatever the, the ideas that people have about the end times whether when Jesus comes back whether there will be true Christians here I think the Bible is clear that there will be let me just give you one uh, text on that, familiar words that we would often hear at a funeral service 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 17 the Lord himself having descend from heaven with a shout and so forth, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. There will be the Lord's people, maybe only a remnant, but there will be some uh, who are true believers that have faith uh, on the earth. But Jesus doesn't mean that. He's not raising the question of whether he's going to have any disciples left when he returns. He's not worried about 
the state of the future state of his kingdom know he knows he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What he is asking is when he returns, will this kind of faith, this degree of faith that this widow woman exhibited, will that be present among his people? Will there be persevering and persistent faith? Or will that faith among his people be uh, weak and uh, giving up? We read in Matthew 24, uh, the Olivet Discourse, which speaks about the fall of Jerusalem and also Jesus' return, that when he comes back, iniquity will abound. And because of that, the love of many will grow cold. Well, if the love of many grows cold, then faith will be affected too, because they are sister graces. Uh, Jesus will return. It will be unexpected for many, like it was in the days of Noah uh, and of Lot. You read about that at the end of Luke chapter 17. Uh, people will be eating and drinking, giving themselves in marriage and so forth. And even as a thief comes in the night, Jesus will return. And so he poses this question. When I come back, will there be those who are persisting in faith and showing that in their prayer life? Or will he find people that have given up, or have perhaps not given up completely, uh, but are not persisting uh, zealously, faithfully, as they ought to be? It can be very difficult if we've lost uh, that persistency in our prayers to get it back and maybe there's one of us this evening who is finding prayer particularly difficult to keep on keeping on in that spiritual discipline prayer in some way or rather faith in some ways could be compared to an engine I hope this illustration will help now we know with an engine say a car engine that if it doesn't have fuel then eventually it will splutter and come to a stop it just will not run anymore. And the uh, faith, the engine of faith needs fuel if it will keep going, if it will power the Christian life, enable us to live for the Lord as we ought to do. Faith has to be fed. It needs fuel. Well, what is the fuel of faith? What well, is the word of God? As we read in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith must be nourished specifically through the promises of God, but the whole word of God generally. And so if you find your faith beginning to flag and maybe finding prayer difficult, then get into the Bible again. Lay hold of a promise. Take hold of that promise. Go to God with it and plead that promise. It's been a delight the times I've been here hearing from Colin one or two things about Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I never knew him, of course. He passed away, passed to glory a year before I was born, but I've heard a uh, recording of him preaching at uh, Wadisham, and as he was preaching, I think this came to him uh, uh, on the fly as it were, he referenced a Welsh phrase uh, that they used to talk about back in Wales with regard to prayer, which was literally pulling on the cords, uh, and so it'd be like pulling on a cord in order to get an answer in heaven, and, and the Welsh used to talk about that by pleading the promises by asking God to do as he had said. And that is how the great George Muller used to pray. He'd never pray, I've, I've been told, until he got a promise. He'd search the Bible until he lighted upon 
God having covenanted to do something for his people and then he'd uh, use that as the springboard for his prayers faith must be fed and so if you feel you are spluttering somewhat friend then feed your soul upon the exceeding great and precious promises of God God has said he will do certain things he keeps his word he has bound himself to them so as I said at the beginning prayer is difficult keeping on praying is difficult but we have friends no reason to give up whatsoever we have a a father in heaven who hears us and though he delays uh, he will answer us speedily at the appointed time let us not be weary in well-doing and well-doing certainly includes prayer Uh, includes many other things but certainly includes that because as Paul goes on to say we shall reap if we faint not we do not give up in our praying remember the widow woman remember her perseverance and how she got what she sought for but above all remember our saviour who prayed and kept praying father if it be possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not my will but thine be done and Luke tells us just a few chapters on from here that he sweat as it were great drops of blood so much was he persisting in that prayer that it was evidence in that uh, blood being coming out through his very skin he persisted in prayer for us persisted even to the death of the cross he persists in prayer for us now even in heaven oh what a saviour we have let us keep on praying knowing that we have him as our advocate amen our closing hymn is 395 another of Charles Wesley's uh, hymns though not one of uh, those that are well known uh, but very fitting really given what uh, we've considered this evening Shepherd divine, our wants relieve in this our evil day. To all thy tempted followers give the power to watch and pray. Long as our fiery trials last, long as the cross we bear, O let our souls on thee be cast in never ceasing prayer. And what follows 395.
Now, just before we come to the Lord's Supper, Colin has asked me to give thanks for the bread and the wine. So I shall do that, and Colin will pronounce the benediction later. Let us pray. Oh, our God, we thank thee for the throne of grace. Lord, thou hast made